Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Gradient Podcast. We interview various people who researched, build, or use AI, including academics, engineers, artists, entrepreneurs, and more. I'm your host, Andrei Kurenkov, and in this episode, I'm excited to be interviewing Nick Walton. Nick is the CEO and co-founder of Latitude, a company whose goal is to make AI a tool of freedom and creativity for everyone, and which is currently developing AI Dungeon and Voyage. In AI Dungeon, you can play and create infinite stories and adventures with your very own AI companion. It's a lot of fun. You can just Google it and play with it and uh, try it out. And uh, more recently, Voyage uh, aims to allow people to discover, explore, and create in the first ecosystem of AI-powered games. So really exciting stuff, really fun stuff. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us for this interview, Eric. Or <laughs> typo. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for the interview, Nick. Awesome. Yeah, great to be here. All righty. And then, uh, as always, before jumping in uh, into what you're doing right now, uh, let's go back a bit and just chat about how did you first get interested in AI and sort of start hacking and uh, how you, you know, what led to you creating of AI Dungeon? Yeah, so I initially started out more in kind of like the ML engineer or the, sorry, the mechanical engineering side of things. Um, and, and pretty soon got really into robotics in general. Um, I made it pretty far, but over time I realized I, lo- I really loved the software side and like the, you know, the, the ML AI pieces. Cause I think that's where the, to me, the really interesting work in, in, robotics, at least for, for what I was interested in, uh, was going on. And so I ended up switching to CS and focusing on that. And this um, is undergrad, I assume. Yeah, this was my undergrad. Um, so I, I, it, it's kind of funny. I got like, you know, like two thirds of the way through the Emmy major and I'm like, ah, oh, I'm going to switch. <laughs> um, but mm-hmm. uh, I actually think it worked out well. Um, and then, um, so, so I worked on, um, uh, a couple of different like research projects and worked in, you know, research labs doing deep learning at my school. And, uh, I realized like at that time I really wanted to work in the self-driving car industry. So mm-hmm. I did a couple internships. Um, one of them that, that I think was, was really interesting was, uh, working in Aurora over the summer on, uh, their, uh, perception, vehicle perception, like ML, um, and, and that was kind of how I, I got more and more in the space. It's kind of interesting cause I, I never had planned on making games. Um, and I was not even in the NLP side of things. Like I was much more on like, uh, perception, you know, segmentation, three point clouds. Um, but the lab I was in did a lot of natural language and actually like surprising a lot with text games, though more on the solving side rather than creating. So they did a lot of early work on like, you know, how, how could AI solve, you know, uh, text adventure games. Yeah. These uh, classic games from like the eighties and nineties where, yeah, you just enter a bit of text, like open the door and it's actually yeah. quite challenging for AI. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of where I got exposed to the natural language side of things. Um, and then it was just at a hackathon where I was playing around with, uh, GPT two had just come out the, and the only model that was available was the 124 million parameter one. 
Um, so I, mean, I started playing around with it and realized like, oh, you can do this interesting kind of like dynamic storytelling where you're interacting with it and, you know, almost create uh, like a like an AI dungeon master. And so mm-hmm. I, I got like kind of obsessed. So I, I built the first version at the hackathon and like it was it was kind of interesting and fun. Um, the The coherency was like maybe the sentence was coherent. Like it's pretty wild how fast the. Uh, the tech has progressed, but, um, yeah, I, I think, I think that like, it, I was kind of lucky in the fact that, you know, I built that first thing when it didn't work, like when mm-hmm. the technology wasn't really good enough to be fun, but I got obsessed and worked on it for like, you know, nine months and like kind of ignored my classes and <laughs> my last semester, my, my last semester, I had my proudest grades because I got all C's because uh-huh. that was my like target. I was like, how can I get the, you know, spend the maximum amount of time on this fun project, AI Dungeon, which it wasn't like, I didn't plan it being a company at that point. And, uh, and it was just your passion past, project, right? Yeah. It was just a passion project that I was like, you know, I was spending 20, 30 hours a week on and kind of ignoring everything else. Um, and then, and then the larger version of GPT-2 came out and realized like, well, and, and then also kind of found data that could fine tune on it. And that's when it, it started working enough that it was like, hey, this is actually coherent. And like I can explore and go on adventures and like have a full story come out of it. And it, it's kind of mind blowing, right? When you first try it. Yeah. It, it like, especially when it, you know, I feel like now it's kind of interesting. Um, I think all of us and, and, you know, like our users, there's this, there's this, continuing raising the bar of kind of expectations where um i think now people are like even even gpt3 people would notice like uh you know like there's these issues and stuff but like when when gpt2 came out which was much worse like it was mind-blowing for a lot of people and so um yeah it's just interesting seeing those expectations kind of rise as the technology progresses but yeah it was it was pretty mind-blowing um uh to some people and 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 actually, yeah, I, I still sometimes show it to people, to friends outside of AI, just to to show them here's something that you can do. And it to them, it's like, you know, still incredibly mind blowing just to yeah. I realize you can do this, right? Yeah. And, and I think the coolest thing for me was like, I think it by itself was was cool, but I think it demonstrated this idea of what the future was going to be like where you know that we're this is just kind of like the very first promise that like hey we're gonna have experiences that can be completely dynamic and and unique to what you do rather than going through kind of pre-scripted things and so you can imagine a lot of the you know the the games people have dreamed of um there's like whole genres on them where there's this sense of like you know living worlds and and real characters and and we've never been able to even get close to that. And I think now it's like, hey, we're not there yet, but we can kind of see how we get there. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're getting towards it. And so anyways, I, I think seeing that kind of opened up a lot of possibilities. Um, mm-hmm. And I imagine you were already a fan of video games and, and maybe even played D&D by this point, right? Yeah, I played D&D and, and I really loved especially open world games, which is maybe kind of shows in you know like ai dungeon is like the ultimate you can kind of uh decide your own destiny um mm. 
I don't know why, but I, I think I've always, I've always enjoyed the aspect of like, you know, being able to explore and not necessarily having a set path, but being able to kind of like determine it yourself. Um, yeah, maybe actually, yeah, for people who don't know D&D or haven't played around with AI Dungeon, could you just give a brief overview of what Dungeon Masters do and how that kind of is mirrored in AI Dungeon? Yeah, so if you have story in a normal game, it's all pre-written by a human writer, right? And because it's pre-written, the only actions you can do are kind of like the things they allow you. So they write three options of what you might say, you pick one, and then you get the response that they've written. What's really cool about D&D and Dungeon Masters is because they can react dynamically, like in real time, it's not like you select, you know, one of three options, but you just, you just decide what you want to do. And then the Dungeon Master reasons like, okay, if you punched the guard, you'd probably like get arrested or, you know, and they can just, um, you know, basically write the story story on the fly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So with AI Dungeon, um, now there's like, um, so, so going back, like D and D was something that inspired a lot of existing video games. And I think they, they took the combat side of D and D and, and made it into how video games are today, but they never were able to get that kind of dynamic story element. I mean, there, you know, we try to, we try in games to make it without AI, but it, it's not really doable until, um, until we have this level of, of AI intelligence or, or whatever the word you use that it can, it can reason about things in a way that makes sense, right? Like it can reason if you push the, the goblin off the cliff, he might fall to the, the bottom and then die. Right. And then it lets it react specifically to those. So, so in AI dungeon, the format is, you just take turns with the AI and the AI says, you know, here's the story. You're a knight walking in the forest and you're on a quest to kill this evil dragon. And then you just type, you know, whatever action you want to do, whether that's, you know, go, go search for the dragon or like you could start a bakery or you could like ignore your quest and, you know, like do, do literally whatever. So some of my favorite stories are like, you know, meeting a band of goblins and deciding I was going to become friends with them and teach them to play instruments. And then we start like touring around the kingdom, performing at festivals and like just all these crazy things that like totally happen in D and D games, but you never have the freedom to do in, in other experiences. And so, uh, yeah, the, the AI has the ability to, uh, take just freeform text and, and write what happens next in a way that makes sense and is interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's it's basically sort of you collaboratively writing and telling the story in some sense where you are the agent and you're deciding what to do and the AI is the world and decides how things respond to you. Which yeah, is really, and people, really special. Yeah. Yeah, people have described D&D similarly, like in some ways it's less of a game and more of like collaborative storytelling. Um, even D&D is. And so, um, yeah, there, there's some interesting things there. Mm-hmm. So then getting back to uh, this timeline, so you managed to nail it and get all C's 
presumably <laughs> to actually graduate uh, while still doing a passion project, which is a great approach, by the way. When I was an undergrad, I was like, I'll get the lowest A I can get every quarter, every semester. I <laughs> just have time to do other stuff. Um, yeah, so where did it go from there? You, you GPT-2 so, so came out actually, the big one. Yeah, yeah I, accent, I actually launched it like the week before finals, which was not a great idea because I was like so in stressed. Yeah. yeah, in hindsight. But um, yeah, so and, and then it kind of took off with, with people playing it on, on Colab Notebooks, which is where it was hosted, and realized that there's something interesting here when a hundred thousand people get excited about this idea. And, and so decided to kind of make it push the idea further as part of a company. And so I brought in, uh, my brother who, who as a co-founder, who's done tech at a lot of startups and, and we kind of built, built the first versions, got some help to get, you know, apps out and, and hosting, uh, GPU clusters, which at the time, like, you know, now, now it's more normal for people to host, like people are hosting GPTJ and all kinds of things, but like, people, there were maybe like two or three people who were hosting like GPD two size models, like at scale. And like, it was actually a pretty uncommon thing. We would talk to AWS support and they're like, oh yeah, we don't like, I can't think of models that are that big. And that, that this was what, like one, volume. a couple gigabytes at that point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was nowhere near oh, where sorry, we're at a couple of billion parameters. Yeah. 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 Um, it was nowhere where we're at now, but, um, there was a lot of challenge in like scaling very quickly and getting reliable kind of GPU serving infrastructure and not like, uh, you know, breaking the bank. Um, we, we always joke that our first funding round was a hundred thousand in AWS credits <laughs> which we went through in like a month and a half because <laughs> uh, yeah. just hungry GPUs. Um, so yeah, so we built that out, got out, uh, uh, kind of mobile apps and, and continue building on the experience. And then um, GPT-3 came out, which we we integrated uh, soon after. And and that kind of brought a new level where people realized, you know, as the language models get better, you can have, you know, even better experiences. Um, and then I'll kind of like fast forward, like the last year we've built out, um, we, we've spent a lot of time doing lots of prototypes of like, how do you make more gamified experiences? Like how do you, you know, merge the free storytelling with structure in a way that's fun? Cause AI dungeon, you know, like was, isn't even really a game. It's more of like an AI role play or like assistive writing tool. Uh, then that, but like we, we kind of have the dream of, you know, more structured experiences. And so we built a bunch of those prototypes and, and several of those ended up in voyage, which is kind of the next platform. Um, where, uh, you know, right now it's, it's, you can play several different AI powered games along with AI dungeon. Um, and then pretty soon we'll be adding creator tools and kind of, uh, just, just making it a place where people are empowered to create really cool experiences with AI and they don't need to like, you know, worry about hosting GPUs or, you know, like even spend a lot of time worrying about unit economics, which, which is a, a hard thing, but they can just kind of use their creativity and, and explore this wide open space. Um, so anyways, that's kind of the, you know, from, from, uh, then to now. Mm, yeah. Brief history, which, uh, it's quite interesting just, you know, how sometimes it's just a weak moment and then the next few years of your life, <laughs> yeah, like a totally different path. Yeah. Yeah. I always joke that like, you know, uh, some, 
some, uh, some people kind of go into like thinking I'm going to start a company and be a founder. And I was very much not like, I never thought I would be a founder, especially not like the founder CEO. I always thought like, yeah, I'll work at like a small early stage startup, but like, I don't know that I want to be a founder. Um, mm-hmm. and then it, it just kind of happened. Um, I, I think there was, you know, there, there was a good amount of like timing and stuff, but, but one thing I think that I would recommend anyone doing, you know, whether it turns into something or not is like, I think the get, getting kind of obsessed with a project you're excited about, I think has a huge, well, that's where a lot of, a lot of really interesting things happen. And a lot of interesting startups is from people who would do it, even if it didn't go mm. anywhere or just excited about it. Um, and so anyways, I, I think that's one thing I'm, I'm, very glad I did. Cause I think that that led to, um, a lot of cool opportunities. Hmm. Yeah. You found an idea you love and then the idea led to the company, not the other way around, which is, yeah. And, and even if it was, and even if it had never been a company, like worst case scenario, it would have been a fun project I built. And you know, some people had fun on, on the internet and I still would have been happy. And it like, I would have learned a ton, like, mm-hmm. uh, that I never would have with, without it. So Mm-hmm, definitely. And so, yeah, touching on Voyage, we'll, we'll talk about it, uh, definitely in some detail, but, uh, before that zooming out a bit, so we, we touched on how there hasn't been really this potential of AI for storytelling, uh, so far it's all been pre-written and maybe even zooming out beyond that, just, you know, people who play video games know that there's AI, you know, in video games, right? Somehow the fighting and the decision-making, et cetera, there's AI. But I guess what's what's interesting is the AI we talk about, the machine learning and so on, and the AI in video games are very different things. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you have thought about this a lot. And maybe for the listeners, could you just describe sort of where AI has been in, you know, mainstream video games, uh, like the extent to which there is, let's say AI in those things. Yeah. Most people who are thinking of kind of traditional AI in games, it's definitely more of, uh, decision trees or, you know, pathfinding algorithms. There's very few games that have machine learning in that, you know, they've trained an algorithm based on data to do some task like uh that's uh, there are some that that have elements of that but i they're much more rare than than uh other things um and i think one thing that's very different too and that's been different about ai dungeon is um the they just the compute required to do this level of ai is very different so uh I think AI Dungeon in a lot of ways has been the most the most compute intensive game ever released. Actually, like if you wanted Even to know it's it's just text. You don't yeah, need to render anything text. still. Yeah. But like if you wanted to run it on your own home computer, you know, the full the full like hundred billion plus parameter model, it's like, okay, do you have like a two hundred thousand dollar deep learning cluster in your home, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like this isn't this isn't your like two thousand dollar high end gaming GPU. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of another level, and, and we can we can amortize the cost across multiple users on the cloud. But like it is it is legitimately pricey to to do that kind of thing, and so mm-hmm. uh, it's very different from you know if if then you know decision trees. 
Yeah, so it's it's really just fundamentally different from anything that's been released as a video game for the most part, yeah. you know, in, in, in video games in general. Yeah. Which is also really interesting. Yeah. The thing that makes me excited is, uh, I feel like video games ha- like saw so much progression from like the nineties to the 2010s. But, but in the last 10 years, we haven't, we haven't really gotten games that, are dramatically different uh, than games we got. Like Skyrim came out 10 years ago, right? And, and you know, there's ways, you know, the, the graphics are a little bit better. There's a little bit more polish, but I think we've been in a little bit of a, a rut in terms of what we can create based on the technology that exists. Um, and so anyways, I'm excited to kind of see, see how this unlocks a new, you know, set of things that people create and kind of can, can usher in, uh, new innovation, what kind of experiences people build. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, personally, I found it really interesting in addition to this kind of dynamic storytelling perspective, other things have also been, uh, at the same time developing. So for instance, voice synthesis, you know, is related. You can have any character now have a voice, right. As opposed to just text and, and these sort of things, generative model models in general, can really change the landscape in a, in a major way, which is really exciting as, as someone who plays yeah. video games. Yeah. Yeah. It, we're definitely progressing towards, and this is, this is, you know, our vision as well in the five to 10 year time frame. but the, the holodeck of video games where, where you can just tell an AI, like, this is the kind of experience I'd want. Like there's this epic world and, and there's this overarching story and these, you know, themes and, you know, these kingdoms that are at war and like the AI goes and fills in all the details of the world and like, you know, crafts the the cities and the towns and then you can drop it and explore it. Right. Because mm-hmm. we're, we're getting to that point where the AI can do the vast majority of those content generation pieces. I, I think there's a couple things we're still missing, like, you know, voice voice is still not fully human in some cases, at least not real time uh, visuals are just taking off there's some really cool 2d visual stuff happening like right now but we're not at like 3d asset level and i think the this the language needs a better ability to kind of handle long-term context and memory and and kind of you know you can't write an overarching plot of a book Mm -hmm. yeah in the way that a human can yet but in five to ten years i'll be very surprised if all those problems aren't aren't solved um so and that's part of what, what's exciting, right? It's in the early stages of technology, but the technology is improving so rapidly. You know, it's only a matter of time, which is kind of mind-blowing to imagine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, at, at least the last two years, I mean, maybe it's slowed down some, but uh, the size of language models was progressing at like 10x every six months. Uh, so like way, way higher than Moore's Law. We'll see. We'll see how much that keeps up. But um, yeah, we've been kind of in a spurt of AI uh, improvements that have been really fast, especially for content generation. And and it's been cool to see that. Mm, definitely. So going uh, uh, rewinding a bit, I'm curious when you released um, the the first iterations, and especially when you started creating it as, you know, a website, as a app, what was sort of the, um, trajectory of, let's say adoption 
How did your community grow? How was that whole experience of just putting out in the world and, and seeing what happens? Um, yeah, it was, it's interesting. Cause I've, uh, I put out the very first one, which, which didn't have the full version of GPT two. And it was cool. Like I, you know, it got some, some comments and, and likes on hacker news for a while, like probably a couple thousand people played it and had a fun time. Um, so I think I was expecting more of a response like that when I released the next version, I knew it was a good deal better, but you know, I, I was like, maybe a couple thousand people will play it and have fun. It'll like be a cool little project. Um, uh, it was definitely like very, uh, humbling and, and like exciting to, to see people, I guess like validating is maybe, maybe the word. Cause, cause I'd gotten really excited about it. And I think some of my lab mates were like, Oh yeah, that's cool. But like, <laughs> it wasn't like, this is going to blow up. They were like, yeah, this is a cool, yeah, like this is a cool project. So, like, this like, is amazing. A lot of yeah, people really I'm, love like, this. obsessed with it. And I like, I told other people, I was like, if anyone wants to help me on it, like you're welcome to, I got, you know, like, I think, I think there was one team member that helped for like an hour or two. But nobody got infected with your excitement, right? Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. And, and then it, it kind of took off and, and then it was, I mean, like for the next several months, honestly, it was just scrambling and kind of reacting to that. Cause first it was the problem of, uh, we had hosted. So like the GPU was, was coming out of Google Colab, which, I'm sure we also gave them a scare because you know like, <laughs> suddenly all their resources were being used up. But but the model was hosted on Google uh, uh, Cloud Storage, I think, and and the download fees actually became like really significant from people downloading it to their Colab notebooks. And so we had to kind of scramble on that and like you know figure out what we do when there's like a twenty thousand dollar you know GCP cost uh, going to the lab account. Uh, and then we got up kind of like the web and mobile versions and, and it was now the problem with like GPUs and hosting the architecture of like, okay, now we have this massive, you know, number of GPUs and figuring out how do we like, how do we monetize this kind of thing? I think that's been something that's very different as well. Cause traditional games generally like, it's like you all, you spend all the time up front making the binary you know, of the game. And then it doesn't really cost you anything for people to play it. But for us, it's a bit of the reverse. Like, um, the AI does so much of the content generation. There's not as much upfront you have to do, but the kind of the ongoing costs are significant. And, and that's something we've heard from other people who've tried to build things is like, it's just, it can be hard to get the unit economics to work. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's one of the most challenging things. Um, so anyways, that's where we kind of ended up on a subscription model and, and it's been interesting, uh, kind of seeing that play out and, and kind of comparing that. I think we're, we're lucky in the sense that I think consumers have become more used to subscription models than they were, you know, five, 10 years ago. Um, and even, even in the gaming world with things like Stadia and Xbox games pass. But, um, yeah, I, I think let's see trajectory. Yeah. I, I think we, we were like just kind of scrambling. I think it, it, in a lot of ways it was hard because it was, in the early period, like it grew, it grew too fast in the sense like, that like, like what, like thousands of people jumped on from the start. Uh, or? We had, yeah. I mean like, I think in the first week, like a hundred thousand people play. It's like, we had like, <laughs> we had like tens of thousands of people playing every day, like right. in month one. Um, yeah. 
And so it, it was a lot of traffic and we were like doing a huge number of AI calls. Um, yeah. So just, just kind of like scaling up the technical architecture that fast was pretty challenging. Um, and we were constantly like, you know, fighting with GPU deployments, like, you know, going, having issues. Um, um, so anyways, that, that, I don't know if that answers your question or if there are other pieces, like you want me to dive into. No, I think that's it. I think the early days, you know, it blowing up seems like just, uh, such an experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that was really fun as well was seeing people, kind of how people used it on Twitch or YouTube. Like there were a mm. lot of streamers that picked it up, which I think is one of the reasons that it kind of grew fast because it, it was a fun new thing to stream. Mm. Uh, but, but we had like a ton of fun just watching people. Like it, there's something interesting about creating an experience that can like surprise you so much and what it does. Cause it's like, I mean, I think their sandbox games can enable this to a degree, but you know, like it, it's one thing to create a cool experience and write the story and have people react to the story. But like, it's another to have your game you made constantly surprise you, you know, because you, it has a life of its own, right? Like it's, it kind of like does its own thing. And so people would create all these crazy things like, like windows PC installation simulators. <laughs> like it could, it could simulate installing windows PC or like, you know, like compi compiling, compiling open CV. And it's like, this is too realistic. <laughs> like this is painfully realistic. Um, yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting to me now that you mentioned it is, um, like if you go to AI dungeon, you can play it obviously, but, uh, now there's more to it where you can, there's like scenarios, right. That yeah. are popular and upvoted. And yeah, I would assume there's a whole community around it now that kind of is thriving and, and continually discovering new things. And, and that's one of the things like we realized and are like going to lean into even more with voyage. One, one thing we've kind of recognized is it's fun to play these types of experiences, but I think it's even more magical. Like we've discovered there's even more magic in creating experiences with AI. Like we've had so much fun create, like when you create this funny, like AI experience and you share it with other people like there's something really magical about being able to do that. And I think part of it is like, normally it's so hard to create another experience that someone can play and have fun with, like to create an indie game, like even, you know, even a simple level is a lot of work, right? Like, you know, to do a decent one, it's like at least months. Um, mm -hmm. And so it, there's something about being able to create, you know, a pirate adventure and share it with your friends. And it only takes like an hour and you're laughing and having fun and like, uh, you know, having that, having that experience of creation. And so, uh, yeah, we've seen that with AI dungeon and I think we're going to see that like AI dungeon. We're amazed at what people create with the relatively simple tools. Like all you can kind of change is, is kind of a few fields and there's, there's some scripting you can do, but it's somewhat limited. Um, and, and voyage is really going to like open up the, the, uh, tool chest in terms of being able to do all kinds of interesting things. And so, uh, excited to see, kind of what people will create with that. Definitely. Um, and I guess, yeah, off of that, just one last thing on AI Dungeon. Um, 
you mentioned a few of these things that you've seen on, on Twitch streams, but uh, are there, are any other sort of favorite things, scenarios, or yeah, user-created things that uh, have, you know, have been popular and you think are particularly sort of just, um, yeah, made, you found interesting and, and fun and cool? I think the thing that was most fun to me was just seeing the seeing the breadth of what people created. So like, you know, you can, you can imagine the kind of like typical things like we, like we had is in the initial things where it's like, Oh, you're a knight on a quest or whatever. But, but people would make experiences where like you're a bowl of jello and there's a human coming at you with a spoon (laughs) and you have to like get away. And like its ability to like go along with that was pretty astounding. It's like you jiggle out of the way and it like would tell a story about you trying to escape this human and so like you could be inanimate objects or you could like people would create ones where like you're the god of a planet and you like, you know, send down a tempest or like cause this event and it would narrate what happens or or like a civilizations type game where you're each a country and you're like, you know, I do this action and it like describes what happens next with your country. And and so just like seeing that breadth and the ability of people to make really interesting, meaningful stories, like one of my favorite stories I read was someone who played as a chair they were a chair and but like and they didn't really do anything but this beautiful story happened where like they got made and then they got like left out in the forest and like started getting weathered and then a hunter like you know ranger found them and took them into their home and like there's this meaningful moving description of how like they were like weathered but well loved by this hunter and and like at one you know eventually they like got to be in and like just the the poetry, I, I've never felt so much affection and like empathy with the chair before. Um, yeah, and that's that is very special for sure. And and that also makes me wonder for some of the more uh, nerdy AI people out there, like myself uh, and you. Uh, you started off with GPT, uh, GPT two and three, which probably most people know is just a thing that does autocomplete trained on all of the internet. So it can continue text from any starting point. And then, um, I presume right off the bat that by itself sort of worked, but, uh, what did you actually figure out any ways to then build on top of that to make it, uh, even better for this kind of application? Yeah. So we've gone through like several iterations of different things we've done. So, um, you know, in the very early days it was, okay, how do we, how do we pull information as needed? So we had like world info where, you know, like you could have information about the King of Larion and that could only get, that would only get pulled in the context when that kind of came up. Um, that, I think we had that even in like kind of the GP two days. Um, and then we would try like integrating other language models that we trained based on, uh, data from users. So users would like label, you know, 10,000 examples of a quest and whether it was completed. So we had like a quest detection system, you know, integrated with your stories. So you can know whether, you know, this was completed or not. Um, that turned out to be really like just uh, a time consuming process to gather that data, train the model, figure out why your first version doesn't work, go back, like clean the data, like fix it. And like, you know, like, it takes, it, it just ended up being too long to be able to build and iterate on interesting new things. Um, so that's why when, when GPT-3 came out and demonstrated few shots, like that was kind of a game changer for us in the, the speed at which we could prototype ideas. Cause suddenly we could, you know, 
make complex systems of AI modules that uh, are built with few shots, right? So you can imagine having like, you know, you do an action and it's like, okay, we want to make more structure. So let's say, let's detect what the difficulty of that action is. Okay, we can make a few shot to do that. And let's detect um, what type of action, like what type of stat does it take? Does it take strength? Does it take agility, you know, to do that action? And now you can start building in like, complex behavior and rules with this network of AI modules. And you can, you can do few shots for the first 2000 samples and then train a smaller model, uh, based on the data from those few shots. Like we've done that pretty successfully. Um, so now it's, it's not, you know, text in text out. It's kind of like a complex network of like decisions and like a flow that AI is going through which does a couple things for you. One is you can do more complex things. And because we can do few shots, we can iterate much quicker than like if we had to train something to go from here to there. And it's also much more observable. So you can like, instead of, you know, trying to do it, like we see this in self-driving cars too, right? Like you don't want to train a car to go directly from like images to driving input, because that's just not a good way to have a self-driving car. That's that is safe. Um, so, so similarly, it's like, okay, now we have this like system of like different AI modules. And if something doesn't work, we can go in and find which piece failed and, you know, either change a few shots or, or kind of train it on different data. And then you can make more complex things like medieval problems is, is kind of a, a simple example of this where, you know, you're, you're a king, you get presented with problems, you type how you want to solve it. Some result happens, you get stats changed based on it. Uh, there's sometimes follow on events, like if you don't solve the problem and that's kind of this network of, of AI modules that are all acting to kind of provide this experience. Um, so, and, and kind of one of the next things that we, we still haven't, I'll give kind of like the surface level and we'll have more that we're sharing in the next couple months as we release creation tools, but essentially like how do you build networks of those in ways that are really easy? And, and what ends up being really useful is essentially a, you can think of it like an unreal blueprint editor, but for AI mm. where like you're chaining different AI modules together and those modules you could share with people, you can kind of interchange them, but you make this network that then can do really interesting and much more complex like processes that are more observable um, than if you just have like, you know, input to output. And that's, you know, there's just one model handling that process. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's really interesting. Um, AI for storytelling is its own subfield of AI research. So it, you're basically, you know, you know, doing research in some sense, uh, at sort of a cutting yeah. edge of the sort of stuff, which is, yeah, different from a lot of, you know, other game development, let's say. Yeah, it's, it's, it's both really cool and also really hard because, uh, you know, there's not really examples of, of what will work. It's like, yeah. well, it's, you know, tried new things that no, people haven't really tried before. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, you mentioned this, uh, uh, blueprint idea on real engine. That's a good point to move on to focusing more on, uh, voyage. So from what I understand, Voyage is, is pretty much, uh, at least, um, the goal is to make a game engine, game creation tool for games powered 
by AI. And yeah, maybe you can give a slightly more in-depth description and explanation of, of how you envision it. Yeah, there, there are two main pieces. Um, one is having the, like you said, like the engine and tools that allow people to create experiences that aren't possible in without. So like these kind of dynamic storytelling or dynamic characters that you can have real conversations with, et cetera, and experiences. The other is um, making it really easy for people to create their own experiences without even needing to know how to code or, you know, to do complex things like, like set up a huge project and, and, you know, the level of work that it takes for something like Unreal. So I, I think that's a little bit more akin to Roblox, um, mm. where they made it really, really easy to create and share uh, experience with with others. And so um, <clears throat> that's that's one thing I think AI ex- uh, will accelerate much, much more because now you don't have to, you know, make all the assets and and do all the logic necessarily. Like you can you can leverage an AI to do a lot of the pieces and have something cool and unique um, because you were guiding an AI as if you're the creative director and your AI is like your team of writers and artists and, you know, like other things that, that help you bring your vision to life. Yeah. You don't need to be a full on game developer. You can just sort of jump in and, yeah. uh, pretty easily make things. And, and it's hard because to make a game takes to make games as most people understand them takes a lot of disciplines, right? Like, uh, art, and programming and like front end engineering and, you know, storytelling and writing. And the number of people that have all of those is pretty rare. Like it's hard to get all of those in one person. Mm -hmm. Uh, So so I think this really makes it a lot easier for individual and single people to create cool experiences themselves without needing to, you know, like have like a large team. Um, Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, Voyage, I think came out you announced it fairly recently maybe a few months ago and so it's still in its early stages um and yeah when you when you released it you've mentioned a little bit you had a couple of games that came with it that are different from ai dungeon and sort of point the way towards what might be possible uh so yeah what what were those games that came out at first yeah so there there are several different experiences and each of them are are fairly different and, and and that's part of the goal is like to explore the space and kind of demonstrate examples of things you could imagine doing so one is i think maybe the closest to ai dungeon in that it's more it's more targeted towards like ai writing so it's called loom um so it's essentially like you know writing with ai but taking advantage of the fact that ai generates like multiple possible completions or it's, it's very easy to generate multiple completions. So, you know, say continue this story, but give me 10 different options of where the story could go uh, instead of just one. And so the, the idea is like, okay, can, can you explore a multiverse of like stories and potential outcomes? So it's like a branching graph that you can explore the graph and be like, oh, you know, if this happens here instead of this, like how does that, you know, change how the story progresses and kind of explore, uh, uh, that branching narrative. So that, so that's one of the things. Another is, uh, called medieval problems. The most similar thing I can point to is it's like rains. I don't know if you've ever played that game where like, I'm a fan. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so rains is fun. Um, 
you like are king and, and they, you get these cards and you can swipe left or right to do different actions. To basically decide kind of like, yes, no, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like that, except you can you can type your, you know, you can do any action as the king and be creative. And uh, then you'll get kind of a result generated by the AI. And every every problem is different too. It's uniquely generated. And so uh, it's different. And it, and, it's sort of you need to manage the kingdom, like happiness and money. and Yeah, money. yeah, there's... There's like the yeah four stats of like you know prosperity, stability, uh, happiness, and military, um, and then the results of your actions uh, affect your stats. And so like if you you know if you uh, burn all the peasants' fields, then your prosperity and, and happiness will probably go down. Um, so uh, yeah, that's that's medieval problems. It's it's fun to see kind of what happens as a result, and and you see your castle kind of like visually change and get built up as, as you, uh, improve your kingdom. Um, the other thing I think medieval problems is cool is it, it kind of demonstrates a smaller mechanic that you could easily see be included in other games. So like you can imagine say civilizations, right? Like what if civilizations type game, like you occasionally have events that you can solve in any way you want, right? You can be like, uh, do this or do that, or, you know, you can be creative and then, have a result and have that affect your stats in your game. So, so that's something you can kind of imagine being integrated as a mechanic into a lot of experiences. Um, so then another one is things, um, things is a, like you, you basically the, the goal and there's a free play mode or like a, you know, uh, sandbox mode, but the goal is you have a couple things, and that can be, you know, proton and electron, and you combine those together and like the, you know, their offspring until you have this network and you can create kind of like solar systems or, or characters or concepts out of those. Um, but it could also be something like, you know, you have a pencil and a mustache and, uh, George Clooney and you have to make like the death star and like, you can combine enough things that you eventually get these concepts. It, so it's like, it's kind of like the, you know, it's a little bit like the word math kind of idea, except mm -hmm. I think it only works with much larger language models so they can get kind of more interesting concept combinations. But yeah, you, or like, uh, so like you well, would say mustache plus pencil and you get like a uh, calm or something. Yeah, it could be something like that. Or like a, a really funny one I saw was uh, someone added princess plus profit and they got Disney. Uh, <laughs> so like things like that. Like it's uh -huh. it, it's pretty it's pretty surprising how it can be clever and combine. Um, I think it's because one thing uh, one thing language models can do fairly well is reason by analogy. And so I think it kind of captures that ability where it's like it's not necessarily great at logic all the time, but I think it does pretty decent at analogies and being like, okay, this is kind of like that. Um, uh, so anyways, it's fun. You can build like, you know, you start, you can start with nothing and combine it and, and get, you know, energy and eventually build out, you know, massive networks of, of crazy objects. And, and because the AI is generating the, the combinations, like there's no limit to how many like recipes or combinations you are. So like you can discover things that no one's ever created uh, and you're the first one to kind of create this new thing. And, and so it's, it's kind of fun, uh, what happens there. Um, and then I think the, the other one we have that's, uh, in production or like available right now 
for people, we have a couple other things coming is uh, Pixel This. So that one's like kind of using the, I mean, the, the image generation tech has advanced so fast that, you know, by the time uh, we like played with the idea and then, you know, spent a month building it, there's already all kinds of other new visual techniques, but it's using the idea of like, okay, you take pixel art, the pixel art generation, you like slowly display it as it generates and people guess, like try and guess like, oh, that's a, a dog in a spaghetti bowl or like, uh, so it's, it's kind of like AI Pictionary. Um, that's, that's a fun one. We, we kind of like from playing around with the tech internally, we had a lot of fun, like, uh, trying to guess that. And so, um, uh, yeah, ended up making that into a, a basically like Pictionary game that people could play. Yeah, and, and this this um, brings up uh, something really cool, which is more recent. AI Dungeon uh, originally was all text, right? But now you have a second component of visuals, and the visuals are similarly just anything, right? You know. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, maybe could you go into how how that works and sort of what it can do right now, and and where you think that'll go. Yeah. So that's, yeah. And that's definitely still kind of early stages, but I think that, I think the concept can work really well. Um, so essentially what we do is like, if we wanted to generate an image for every action, that's both kind of slow and expensive. So what we do instead is we pre-generate a bunch of images that we, and we can like continually add to this cache of images and then do, uh, just kind of like vector matching and find which for every part in a story, like what image most represents that it's like, Oh, you're walking through the forest. And it's like, okay, so cool. We have like an image of like a path through a forest or this image is like, image like a pixel art sort of thing. Like, uh, yeah, actual, the, the yeah. First, yeah. The first set of styles is pixel art. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, yeah. So it's like, you're in a jail cell and it's like, okay, now there's an image of like a person in a jail cell. And so now you've like, this visual novel. Um, have you ever read uh, Diamond Age? Um, Not yet. I, I need to get around it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, in, in Diamond Age, it's a Neil Stevenson book. Uh, there's this like young ladies illustrated primer, which mm. is this book that uh, dynamically like tells a story based on their action to teach kids. Uh, anyways, I, I feel like that's kind of like where it's ending up is like, you know, it, this ability to have these like dynamic visual stories. Um, so we, we'd love to make a, a, a kid friendly version when when we have enough confidence in the AI tech to to, you know, stay that way. I think they I think we're getting there on the research side, but we're we're probably not quite there yet. Yeah, definitely. And um one reason that AI has not been in traditional video games and sort of the, the grand challenge is it's great that AI can do so much and you don't know what it'll do. But at the same time, it's sort of a curse of like, you don't know what it's going to do. And uh, especially with something like medieval uh, problems, right? When you try to introduce mechanics and sort of these more rigid structures, that's where I find myself being very curious how how you can imagine that working of like you have this generative thing that can do anything, but then you also want to have something that's limited, right? And yeah, so how how do you think um, how difficult that'll be, and and uh, do you imagine that being more and more sort of solvable? 
Yeah, it, it's a great question. I think um, I think where we'll end up. I think I you need very tightly defined interfaces between the fuzzy natural language and the discrete. Um, I think one of the, we tried for a while to t- start from where AI Dungeons at and like add more structure and mechanics. But the challenge with that is you're already letting the AI decide basically anything about what happens. And that just becomes so challenging to, to rein in. Um, whereas, you know, if you let the AI generate the backstory of a town or of a character or let it generate like more specific things like, a, you know, an encounter, an enemy, rather than just narrate story as a whole, um, I think it makes it a lot easier um, the other is I think there's probably going to be, you know, methods where instead of instead of necessarily have the AI inform mechanics, you can do the reverse and make experiences where there's like an underlying mechanics that is driving, you know, is the structure and backbone. But then the AI adds kind of like a sense of story and flavor on top of it. Um so then it's not like deciding things that should be more mathematical, but it's still adding that sense of like story and dynamic, you know, interesting things that mechanics alone leaves both leaves something to be desired. Hmm. Definitely. That makes sense. And yeah, related to that, so Voyage, the, the goal is to have us be kind of a game engine a creation tool. And I'm curious how, how would you use that creation tool? Like right now, if I wanted to make a game with Voyage, how would I go about it? Yeah, so it, we haven't released the tools yet. They're still kind of like in in some. If of the I things. if I got your secret code or like whatever yeah. you use it, or, yeah. or I'll say in like in a couple months as we like kind of kind of have the first version that's available to users. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> essentially, I, I think some of the the early versions will be you come in, you can kind of define like. What does the front end interface look like? What are kind of the ways that users can interact with it? Uh, and, you know, the visual side of things, you can even, you know, generate AI generated visuals for your experience, right? Like whether you want character art or landscapes or whatever. Um, and then on the back end, there's essentially like, like an Unreal Blueprint editor for kind of the AI logic of what's happening. Um, so like, you know, given different user actions, um, you can then uh, kind of process those and decide what happens next um, it, and and build that all with with that kind of node graph um, in in which you could code, you know, pieces if you want to. But uh, isn't it's not required to know how to code to be able to make interesting things. Um, so, yeah. So you're integrating back if some of these AI concept of decision trees and hard coded logic. And sort of making an interesting hybrid uh, that's yeah, much more easy yeah, to use. Yeah, I, I think I think most complex AI systems are going to trend towards like, and, and maybe this is my influence from the self-driving car space, which I which is where they've ended up here as well. Which is like it's a combination of engineered and learned systems, mm-hmm. um, and then you're able to kind of define the interfaces more clearly, like swap out some of the learned systems without uh, breaking the whole stack. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyways, I, I think that's probably the path that even games will go as well as kind of a, a complex uh, AI system that's part of them. 
Right. Yeah. So that's exciting. I'm looking forward to these tools being released and, and making my own little weird game about lizard people eating rats or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, maybe last, last thing is looking forward. We have already touched on this a bit, right? So Voyage is taking the first baby steps in this direction. Uh, but you know, where do you see it going ultimately? What is your dream for Voyage in five, 10 years? Some people look at AI and have this fear of AI replacing humans. Um, I think that's not what the future looks like. I think the future looks a lot more like what we've seen even with chess, where humans combined with AI actually perform better than either alone. And I think we're going to see that happen more and more in kind of the creative space where it's humans and AI can can make amazing things that neither of them can do on their own. And so I think that's where, you know, create content creation in general is going to go, whether that's games or even movies or or books is we're going to see more and more humans, you know, I, I think especially humans providing the the creative direction, the high level, uh, and connecting it with the human experience and then AI helping to bring things to life and flesh it out and like, uh, doing a lot of the heavy lifting. And so I, I, to me, I think it's a very bright future of humans and AI working to make it, I mean, AI making it possible for humans to create things they couldn't before or couldn't, unless they had like a massive team. Um, so uh, democratization in some ways of like be of what people can create. Yeah. And I, I fully agree. It's, you know, AI is more like Photoshop or even like TikTok editing tools than something that replaces people. And, and that's very exciting. Um, and uh, yeah, on that note of, of, uh, it being a tool, uh, I wonder, I don't know if, if he will have something to share, but I imagine you've been playing around with this Voyage game creation stuff already. And I wonder if you have any funny failures, <laughs> something that's just, you know, uh, came out uh, totally weird and sort of broken, but also really fun and somehow. Yeah, the best example I can think of uh, I mean, this is, this is the kind of thing that happens with this tech all the time, but the failures that, that makes like the things that the AI does that make sense, but aren't what you expect. Right. And I think that goes back to what humor is. I think humor can be defined as a surprise without promise or threat. Um, and one, one of them was one of the prototypes we were making was kind of like AI dungeon, but but every action kind of gets analyzed to see whether it's possible and like a dice roll, whether it'll be successful based on your stats. Um, and so one, one of them, like you, I was outside a tavern and I was just testing it and I was like, okay, pick up the tavern. And I knew it was going to rate the difficulty as like insanely high on strength. Yeah. And I was going to fail, which I did. But like the way the AI translated the failure was, uh, you try to pick up the tavern, but it stands up and attacks you. Like, <laughs> like it's like this living tax. Like the, the failure wasn't that you couldn't lift the tavern. It was that, you know, that it attacks you. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see, uh, 
see the ways that AI can behave in ways that sometimes make sense, but also are not what you intend. Uh, right, right. Cool. Yeah, I imagine uh, you'll you'll have a lot more of these sorts of things as you work on Voyage, and then probably people playing of it will also have an issue, uh, not issue, just experience, uh, which yeah. is part of the fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, that's all very cool. Again, uh, if you're listening, just Google AI dungeon, you can play with it right now. It's a lot of fun. You should definitely try it. And just, uh, to close things out, I always like to, um, zoom out, forget about AI for a bit and just chat about what else you do, you know, how you like to any hobbies, any stuff for fun. Have you gotten to play Elden Ring yet? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, what, that what was last weekend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it, it's fun. I'm I like. I don't know if I've ever played a game where I die so much. Uh-huh. Like that's. I'm sure everyone has that experience, but like, yeah, it's interesting. That, I think it's a testament to their game design, though, that like you can be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and it, it adds to the, the satisfaction of when you do like beat that hard boss and you're like, yes, I did it. Um, yeah. Yeah. This makes no sense to anyone who doesn't play video games, but just Google it. Like the be- best game ever just came out. Everyone is losing their mind because it's incredible. Um, yeah. Anything else besides video games uh, that you play around with? Yeah. Um, I think in general, I, I like nature and hiking. Um, I'm excited for it to, uh, out in Utah, like I'm excited for it to get into spring and, and get warm enough to go out in the mountains again. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, those, those are some of the things I feel like running a startup. I don't have as much time for, <laughs> for other yeah. things besides that, but, uh, yeah, those are kind of the, the things I do to, to relax and have fun. Awesome. Uh, well, I think that will close things out. Uh, I had a lot of fun and, and always have enjoyed AI Dungeon. So it was great to talk. Uh, thank you, Nick, for uh, joining us for this podcast. Yeah, it was great coming on. And to close it up for the listeners, again, this is the Gradient podcast. We have a magazine with a bunch of articles at gradient.pub and you can check out our Substack to subscribe. Yeah, as always, you know, with this content stuff, if you review it or share it or that sort of thing, tell everyone to listen about it. That'll be cool. Uh, you don't have to, but you know, uh, I'd appreciate it. I'll, I'll, you know, send you a like or or uh, send you some thanks on Twitter if you do that. So thank you for listening and uh, be sure to turn in the future.